Today is, as we've said, Palm Sunday. And the disciples uh, had, had lots of hope that first Palm Sunday in Jerusalem. They had lots of hope when Jesus came riding in to Jerusalem. This was going to be it for them. The, the crowd was there, the cheering, the adulation, the expectation. It was all there, an adoring crowd and chants of Hosanna. For the disciples, I can just imagine seeing that, that unfolding scene on that day. All of their hard work, um, all of the sacrifices, all of the difficulties. Um, they saw the miracles. They heard the teachings. Um, they experienced. They saw the healings. Um, there, was, there was controversy. Um, they saw people take offense at Jesus. But it just seemed on this, on this Palm Sunday, this first Palm Sunday, all of that was in the past. Um, things moving forward would be different and better. I'm sure that's what they must have felt as they, as they heard the crowds shouting, Hosanna. But then things changed. After Palm Sunday, there's always Monday, and, and that led to Good Friday, and, and everything changed. I can imagine how for the disciples, after that first Palm Sunday, as they moved through to Good Friday and then Saturday, I, I can just imagine for them how, how squashed they felt their hopes that day, that week. And a lot of us, like those disciples, that day after that first Palm Sunday, like many of us, the reality of life has a habit of, of squashing us, of, of trying to, 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 to put a lid on our joy and, and on our hope. Maybe, maybe we've lived with a checkered past and we just don't seem like we can escape it. Perhaps we're living with a sense of condemnation or we've got guilt that, that, that hangs on to us or, or we're in an environment that beats us down. Maybe we're surrounded day in and day out by people who are negative and, and, and critical. Um, but, but for most of us, for, for all of us anytime, sometimes, once in a while, um, life has a habit of of, of drawing, drying up hope in us. In fact, um, one recent survey showed that, that, that 97% of Americans describe their life as being on a treadmill. 90, I'm sorry, did I say 97%? That's too high. I don't want to sound that hopeless. 92% of Americans describe their life as being on a treadmill. Now, if you're one of the eight percenters, God bless you. You've gotten it figured out. But for 92% of the rest of us, sometimes it feels as if we're living life on a treadmill. Now, I need to tell you something. I go to the gym because I have to. And about the only thing I can do on the gym... I'm so klutzy, it's about the only thing I can do without hurting myself or those around me. The only thing I can do on the gym is the treadmill. And I hate the treadmill. 
Oh, I know. Some of you are going to say, Pastor Richard, we're teaching our kids not to say hate, and you shouldn't say you hate something. But I got to tell you, the Bible says, hate that which is evil. <laughs> and I'm sorry, that treadmill is of the devil. And I hate him. But I do it because somebody says it's good for me. And the treadmill is a lot like life. You're working hard, you're going fast, you get exhausted, but you're not going anywhere. You're the same place where you started. But even though life feels like a treadmill sometimes for 92% of us sometimes, even though life feels like a treadmill for us 92% of the time, some of us 92% of us, even though life feels like a treadmill, most of us still have hope. Even though we're chugging away and, and, and we're feeling the pressure and we're feeling the hurt and, and we're experiencing the frustration, even, even though that happens to 92% of us some of the time, we still have hope. In fact, the Bible tells us to be prepared to give a defense for the hope that is within us. And that, and that makes sense. Inside most of us, there is hope. Hope is what kept the disciples going after Good Friday. And, and Jesus, in one of his teachings, he said, he said even, even if you have, have faith as small as a, as a small grain, a small seed, even if you have that, that's going to be enough. And so, and so, and so even, even if it feels for 92% of us that we're on a treadmill a lot of the time, even if we've got a small kernel of hope, the Bible says it's enough to keep you going. It's enough. There is hope. So on this Palm Sunday 2013, we're going to ask God to refocus our lives spiritually. So let's, let's begin with a word of prayer. Let us pray. Dear God, here we are again, Palm Sunday 2013. As we think back since last Palm Sunday, there's been a lot of change. There's been a lot of change for us as a church. There's been a lot of change in our individual lives. Some of the change has been good. Some of the change has not been good. We have a lot to be grateful for, but we also have regrets. But today is a new day, and you're a God who specializes in the new. And right now, we want to turn our focus towards you and invite you to speak to each one of us. Remove all the noise and all the barriers and all the distractions so that we can hear you through your word today. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today I want to talk, for those of us who feel like we're on a treadmill a lot of the time, today I want to talk to you about one of the keys that will help your spiritual growth and help your progress as we move through Holy Week. And the key we're going to talk about, that key is the Bible. Here's what we know. The most life-changing, transforming practice available to us is the consistent encounter with God in His Word. The most transforming, life-changing practice available to us is the consistent encounter with God in His Word. In fact, if, if you are a devoted follower of Jesus Christ, 
you cannot consistently and positively grow in your relationship with Christ without a regular encounter with God in his holy word. You need a diet of scripture all week long. So to get us started, we're going to look at four truths about God's word. We're going to look at four truths about God's word. First truth is that the Bible is in a class all by itself. The Bible is unique. The Bible is authoritative. The Bible is incredible. Here's what Psalm 19 says. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. In fact, Jesus takes that a step further. And in this beautiful part of John's gospel, in the middle of John's gospel, Jesus is praying for us. Imagine that. Jesus is praying for you and for me. And here's what Jesus says. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So Jesus is, is praying that we will pursue the truth. You notice Jesus doesn't say a truth. Notice Jesus doesn't say a form of the truth, but he says truth and the truth. He is encouraging us in our pursuit of the truth through God's word. Now, before we continue, let me encourage you in your pursuit of the truth. And if you're sitting there and, and if you're at a point in your life right now where you're just not quite so sure about the authoritative truth of God's word, if you're sitting there and you're still struggling with that, with the notion of the authority of God's word, let me just tell you that's okay. One of the great things about our church, one of the great things about Covenant Church, is that we invite people to grow in their faith at their own pace. And, and we will never tell someone that in order to be a part of Covenant Church, you have to be spot on right here where I am when I look at something. You're not expected to, to, to conform or adhere to anything like that to be a part of the spiritual journey within Covenant Church. No one's going to force you to do anything like that. But if you're still on the fence about the truth of God's word, if you're still wondering, I want to, you, I want to encourage you to examine the evidence. The Bible is authentic and it's incredible. A couple weeks ago when talking about, about the person of Christ and the divinity of Christ, we mentioned a book by Lee Strobel called The Case for Christ. He's got another book. That if you're, if, you're, if, if you're struggling with, 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 with Scripture, with the truth of God's Word, I encourage you to, to get his companion book, The Case for Faith. Or if you know somebody that's struggling with that or still has questions, I encourage you to get that book. Second book I encourage you to read is Letters from a Skeptic. 
A son wrestles with his father's questions about Christianity. Greg Boyd was an atheist. He was raised in an atheist family. He came to Christ before his father did. His father was well into his later years when Boyd started corresponding with his father before email. They wrote letters back and forth, and Boyd presented the, the case for Christ, and then his father answered, and it's all collected in this beautiful book, and the father eventually comes to Christ. So I encourage you, one or, one or both of those books, if, if your mind isn't settled yet on how incredible God's Word is, then get one of those books and work through it. If you know somebody whose mind isn't settled yet on how incredible God's Word is, then, 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 then do them a favor and buy them one of those books. And if they don't read it, heck, ask for it back and you'll read it. To sort of whet your appetite, as we look at the authority of Scripture, I just want to share with a little side story from, from archaeology. In the Old Testament, there was a tribe of people named the Hittites. There was absolutely no archaeological or historical record of the Hittites. Prior to around 1910-1912, biblical scholars and archaeologists, historians, believe, believed that when the Scriptures mentioned the Hittites, it was mythology. There was no such thing. But then an archaeologist discovered at a site, he discovered over 10,000 clay tablets describing what is now known as the capital city of the Hittites. So prior to around 1910, 1912, what had been rejected as mythology and not true by historians and archaeologists, but had been proclaimed as truth in Scripture, was was proven archaeologically and historically to be, to be true. As someone once said, the Bible is a fortress often attacked but never falling, failing. It punctures all pretense. It outlives, outloves, outreaches, outranks, and outruns all other books. The Bible is in a class all by itself. The Bible is both timeless and timely. The Bible is a book for all ages. Its principles are universal. Its truths are absolute. But the Bible is also relevant to your life today. And the Bible is relevant to the difficulties and struggles that you go through each and every day. The Bible is relevant to the decisions you have to face. The Bible is relevant to the problems you struggle with. Bible is the timeless and timely truth of God. Here's, here's the thing. My belief about the timeliness and the relevancy of Scripture is grounded in my relationship with Jesus Christ. My devotion to God's Word flows out of my devotion to Christ. We already saw the esteem with which Christ holds God's Word. And so as a devoted follower of Jesus Christ, I cannot view Scripture any other way different than Christ viewed Scripture. Faith in Jesus, which is a gift from God, is a gift of faith. And faith in Jesus leads me to honor God's Word. And so instead of arguing against God's Word, because there will be things I don't understand about God's Word, there will be things in God's Word that don't make sense to me, but just because I don't understand it or just because it doesn't make sense to me doesn't mean it is the truth from God. Does that make sense to you? 
I have no clue how an internal combustion engine works. I don't know anything about it, but I know I get in the car and I drive and it works. It gets me where I need to go. So instead of arguing against God's word, I need to conform my life and my beliefs to God's word. If there's, if there's something I don't understand that's in God's word, that's no reason for me to argue against it. I just need to dig deeper. And I need to pray and I need to meditate on it. I have to try to figure out what it is that I don't understand. And, and I can guarantee you there are going to be parts of God's word, there are going to be things revealed in God's word that I'll probably never understand, but that's okay. I don't need to understand it all. The Bible brings deep joy. It's God's letter of love and encouragement to you. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 5.18. He says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So what Jesus says is, is, is God's word is never going to change. The God we encounter in his word is true and faithful. He is timeless and he's timely and he's unchangeable. And Jesus isn't going to change anything. He said, I didn't come here to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. And that little phrase that he uses there, he says, he says not, a, not an iota, not a, not, a, not a dot. What he's talking about is, is, is in, in Hebrew, uh, there, there, were, there, were, there were letters that, that, that one marking would make one letter into a different letter. Think about it this way. Think of a, an O. And what I told you earlier, I was going to quiz you now. In the children's conversation. All you parade experts, here we go. I've got an O. What one mark will turn this O into what letter? A Q. Absolutely. One little one little mark turns an O into a Q. And Jesus said that's never gonna happen. Jesus cares too much about the clear communication of God's word. So that he preserves even the smallest marking. The Bible is in the class all by itself. Second thing we know about scripture is the Bible is enlightening. The Bible is God's word to us with a practical value. Again, Psalm 19.8 says, The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. In other words, the Bible makes God's plan, God's purpose clear for us. It makes clear what is good for us. And Jesus is saying that the Bible is relevant to our lives. Biblical truths will help you. They will guide you through life. Here's what Paul says, 2 Timothy. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good word. I've got this, this app on my phone. It's a, it's, I, I, I don't pay for apps. I don't do any apps that you have to pay for. I just do the free ones. Um, and, and I got Google Sky app. It's called Google Sky Map. Any of you have Google Sky Map? It's awesome. Uh, Whenever we get a clear, cloudless night, I'll probably use it some more. 
but you take it out and you and it goes by your GPS and and it and and it, and it shows you where all the constellations are based on where you're standing, what you can see. Um, um, there are a couple of planets that 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 you can see with your eye um, certain times of the year. Most of them you can't, but even though you can't see them, it shows you where the planets are in relation to where you're standing. You can also have it show you where like the 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 the, the big space telescopes are, the Galileo, those probe things. It'll tell you where all that stuff is, and and so and so it will it will it will it will keep you oriented. And you can even navigate with with Google Sky Map. You can even you, you can even navigate. It pinpoints where you are. It tells you where you're at. And God's word is like that. God's word tells you where you're at. God's word tells you where God wants you to be going. God's word keeps you on track and keeps you going in the right direction. And if you're dealing with temptations, if you're dealing with sin, if you're dealing with hurtful decisions or situations in your life, God's word tells you how to get back on track, how to keep moving forward. The Bible, the Bible shows you the way. The Bible shows you the way. Make no mistake, it works. Life is better when you choose to live life according to God's word. Now notice, I didn't say life is easier. Jesus, the Bible, never says life will be easier. He doesn't promise an easy life. In fact, Jesus says, you're going to be persecuted for me. He's going to say, you're going to have a, a rock for a pillow when you follow me. Jesus never says life will be easy, but he says life will be better because you're living your life according to God's plan, according to God's word. And you will grow into the person God created you to be when you are following his word. And as you begin to engage the Bible, you will build up a reservoir from which you can draw deeply. In 1939, when the Japanese occupied Korea, Esther Ann Kim knew that she was going to be in prison. The Christian church was beginning to grow in Korea at that time. And wherever the Japanese conquered, they brought in their idols. They brought in their gods. They brought in pictures of their emperor. And they forced the people of occupied countries to worship their emperor, to worship their gods. And so Esther Ann Kim knew that that day was coming. And she was going to refuse. And she was going to be sent to prison. So in preparation for her imprisonment, she fasted, she prayed, she meditated, and she memorized over 100 crucial passages of God's Word because she knew that she would have no access to the Bible or a prayer book while in prison. And so from 1939 to 1945, Esther Ann Kim was in prison, and she was beaten, and she was tortured, and she was starved. And she drew deeply from that reservoir of God's word. And in fact, there were some pretty hopeless people imprisoned with her, people without a faith. And Esther and Kim witnessed to them, and, and, and some came to Christ. And in fact, prison guards and Japanese government officials took note of... Esther Ann Kim and her faithfulness and her knowledge of God's word. And here's one thing Esther Ann Kim did. 
She woke up every morning, every morning that God gave her to be alive. She woke up and she asked this question. Who do you want me to love for you today? Who do you want me to love for you today? You know, she didn't say, God, get me out of this mess. God, why are you doing this to me? It's hopeless. I give up. She said, I'm here, God. Who do you want me to love right now? It's amazing what happens when you begin to know the Bible. And I'm not talking about Bible facts. I'm not talking now specifically about rote memorization, any of that kind of stuff. I'm simply talking about knowing God's insight and God's plan and the kind of life God wants you to live. Here's how Jesus put it in Matthew 4.4. A man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus says, you will know your purpose and meaning in life when you open God's word. I was just thinking about this. I was thinking about a great song. I, it's a long story. Our printer died. So poor Vanessa, our office assistant on Monday, is going to have to call the printer guy again and get it fixed. But uh, I was thinking about this, this, this song by Styx. Uh, probably nobody knows who Styx is. Does anybody know who Styx is? Wow, you're old. <laughs> Styx is awesome. My favorite stick song. You know what my favorite stick song is, don't you? Probably the one least known, their song Lorelei. I love their song Lorelei. That's my granddaughter's name. Um, so anyway, uh, after, after a, a good friend of one of the members of Sticks died, um, he, he was having a, a crisis of faith. And, and so he, he, he wrote the song, Show Me the Way. See, I've talked about God, God's word showing us the way. God's word shows us the way. And, and here's just what he said. Every, every night I say a prayer in the hopes that there's a heaven. And every day I'm more confused as the saints turn into sinners. All the heroes and legends I know as a child have fallen to idols of clay. And I feel this empty place inside so afraid that I've lost my faith. Show me the way. Show me the way. Take me to the river and wash my illusions away. Please show me away, the way. That's a great bat- baptismal reference. Show me the way. And God's word will do that. And God's word does that. It shows you the way of how he wants you to live your life. So God's word is in a class all by itself. God's word is enlightening. Third, God's word, the Bible, is invaluable. Listen to how Psalm 19 puts it. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Did you know that? Honey is the only food known, only food in the world that never spoils, that never goes bad. They have found honey from from thousands of years ago that is still edible and still usable and will not harm you. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Everything in God's word is more valuable to your life than anything of earthly value. And God's word is a timeless truth. And it is always sweet. In fact, in Judaism, there's a symbolic thing that they will do in temple worship sometimes. The rabbi will, will open the Torah, their scripture. He will open the Torah to Psalm 19. And he'll put, he'll put a dollop of honey on Psalm 19. And then, and then he'll ask 
a young man from the congregation to come forward and to place his lips and to taste the sweetness of the honey on Psalm 19 as a symbolic reminder of that passage. James 1 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. If you want to know who you are, study God's word. If you want to remember who God created you to be, if you want to remember that you were created in the image and likeness of God and that Jesus loves you, then turn to God's word. We know who we are and what we were made to be by reading the Bible. It is an invaluable tool. But now a cautionary note. This, this point is so important. The Bible is an invaluable tool for helping me see who I really am. Don't just read the Bible and study the Bible to know the words. God's word has to penetrate your heart. In my first church, there was a woman named Vivian. And Vivian knew the Bible front and back. You know, you know that there's a game show hosted by that Who Wants to Be a Hillbilly guy? Or you know you're a hillbilly, you know you're a redneck guy. Foxworthy, right? You know the show I'm talking about? See, you were so quick with the parade qu answers. Come on now. You all know that show, right? The Bible quiz show, right? Vivian would have cleaned up on that show. Vivian achieved expert level in Bible memorization. But Vivian was also mean, and she was ornery she was sour most of the time. She was judgmental and she was harsh. And Vivian, I got the sense that Vivian never came to church to meet God, but she came to church to analyze and to criticize. That's, that's the wrong kind of Bible knowledge. God's word has to penetrate your heart. It has to penetrate your heart. Knowledge without obedience is a dangerous thing. So let the, God, the truth of God change you. So the Bible is in a class by itself. The Bible is enlightening. The Bible is invaluable. And fourth, the Bible is infallible. Psalm 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Reading the word of God is food for my soul. Scripture glorifies God, it treasures Christ above all others, and it shows me the way to help hurting people. The Bible will never lead me astray. I just have to pick it up and start reading it. In Scripture, I encounter God's truth. In Scripture, I get to know Jesus more intimately. All I have to do is pick it up and start reading. I don't come to Scripture thinking I know better. I don't come to Scripture thinking I have suggestions for its improvement. I don't bring an argumentative spirit to Scripture. It is infallible. Every word is true. And just because something doesn't make sense to me doesn't mean it's any less true. Just because I don't initially understand or agree with something in Scripture doesn't make it wrong. I just need to be seeking God's truth when reading His Word. So here's how we need to think about Palm Sunday in the Bible. People came out to see Jesus. 
They wanted to know who Jesus was. They didn't come that day seeking any kind of benefit. They didn't come seeking any kind of prize or reward. They were just wanting to know. And sometimes we just need to be seeking Jesus. We just need to seek, be seeking, seeking how to have a relationship with Jesus through his word. Not for anything Jesus can give to us. Not for any prize or reward or special merit. The Bible is not so much engaging a set of propositions about God as it is engaging the person who wants to be known by you. Here's what Psalm 16 promises. He make, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So spend time in God's word. Meditate on it. Study it. And as you do, over time, more and more grace will come into your life so that you will have more and more grace to give. So as we prepare to sing, won't you please stand? And let's join our voices together in those wonderful words of affirmation from Psalm 16. Let us join our voices. You make known to me the path of life in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And that is God's promise through his word. Visit us on the web at tecumsehcove.org. That's T-E-C-U-M-S-E-H-C-O-V-E dot O-R-G.